The on hey. How do you like them apples? <laughs> Praise God. Well, if you have your Bibles, open up to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We're going to continue our ongoing saga. Rusty, I can't believe you're doing that to me, brother. Sitting in the back of church drinking a monster. (laughs) Don't don't worry, brother. I got one in the fridge. I'm good. Uh, Okay, where was I again? Oh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We're going to finish up as we look at probably the most vital doctrine within the church. And that is the doctrine of the resurrection. If you remember last time we got together, there was this concept in in the church of Corinth that they believed that Jesus rose from the dead. But there was an Epicurean philosophy. It's still with us today. Uh, It goes by a a slightly different name. But the the concept is the same, that, that there's no resurrection. All there is to life is what we have here. And so they would say, well, we'll follow Jesus' teaching because he's a, a good moral person and he had good teachings. But, you know, we, we, we don't believe in the resurrection and all those things. And so Paul lays out for him, listen, guys, if there is no resurrection, then Jesus Christ is not risen. If Jesus Christ is not risen, he said, our, our preaching is a waste of time. Our faith is a waste of time. We are lost. We are still in our sins. The dead are just gone, and we have no hope. In fact, when we look at the resurrection, so many of the the doctrines of our faith hinge on the resurrection. The divinity of Christ, the sovereignty of God, the justification by faith, regeneration, resurrection and salvation, all hinge on that point, on the resurrection of the dead. And folks, you know that Jesus doesn't give you the opportunity to follow him because he's a good moral guy, right? A good moral guy would not say he was God. Unless he was. And if he was, and he was, and he said he was, which he did, and he calls us to place our faith in him and believe the word that he's given us, and we are to follow God's word, what he lays out for us, and realize that because of the resurrection of the dead, we have hope. Folks, it's not the end. No matter what happens in this earth, no matter what we face in this place, it's not the end. And that's the point that Paul wants to get across. That's what he wants us to receive and understand. So we left off in verse 28. In verse 29, as he's considering uh, this way of thinking, he says, Now otherwise, what will they do who are baptized for the dead? If, they're, if the dead do not rise at all, why then are they baptized for the dead? Well, We just came across the number one most difficult verse to comprehend in the Bible. Now, I'm going to give you what I think the best way to comprehend it is. Um, And you can run with it as you will, but I'll tell you this. This is the one and only place in the entire scripture baptism of the dead is talked about. And you will always go astray. If you base doctrine on one verse, you find in one place. How do, we, how do we look at the Word of God? The whole counsel of God. Why do we study from Genesis to Revelation? So that we can see the whole counsel of God. And in the whole counsel of God, we'll understand what God's doing. But if we start pulling pieces out, we'll start running off all helter-skelter all over the place. 
We want God's word to lay out for us. Here's what we know it does not mean. It does not mean that someone who is lost can have someone be baptized in their place for their salvation. Why do I know that's not what it's for? Because there's no such thing as baptismal regeneration. We are saved by faith. Sola fida. Faith alone. What is baptism about? In fact, we're going to have a baptism here in a few weeks. And that baptism is all about an outward example of a change that has already occurred in our life. The Lord calls us to believe. When the, when, when the disciples were asked, what hinders us from being baptized? He said, if you believe with all your heart, you can be. Belief comes first. Then we should follow the Lord in obedience and baptism. A sign, uh, an outward sign of an inward change. So then what's he talking about? Baptism of the dead. I think the best way to understand it is in context of the chapter. What's he talking about? He's talking about if Christ is not risen. If Christ is not risen, then he is dead. So then why would you be baptized in the name of a dead Savior? Why would you follow in this concept and, and, and allow this baptism or identification with a dead Savior to take place? If he's not risen, then he's not who he said he was. And it's a waste of time. It's a waste of effort. So why would they do this? And look how he builds on that same concept in verse 30. And why do we stand in jeopardy every hour? I affirm by the boasting in you which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord, I die daily. What's Paul saying? He's saying, listen guys, uh, in our little Americanized world today, being a Christian is a piece of cake. You know everywhere else in the world people are dying for it, right? You know everywhere else in the world people lose their lives. Husbands watch their wives mistreated and killed before their eyes. Their children maimed just because they profess faith in Jesus Christ. That's how it is in the rest of the world. And we sometimes forget that because here it's not we think we're we think we're we're being persecuted when somebody's mad at us or someone's rude when we try to share our faith. Nobody's pulling out a machete and trying to chop our arms off for our faith like they do in Rwanda. Nobody's doing those things here. Paul says, listen, if this is all over a guy who didn't really rise from the dead and is not who he said he was, then why are we doing this? And here's how we can know beyond a shadow of a doubt, folks. Here's how we can know. No one dies for what they know to be a lie. Nobody does it. Nobody has the power to face the things these guys faced knowing that I'm lying. All this time I was lying. Jesus was really in the ground. I really took his body and buried it somewhere else. And now while they're torturing me, while they're cutting me up, while they're dissecting me, while I lie here on the table alive, and I would not profess, okay, never mind, I was lying, it was a big hoax. And think about who you're talking about. Remember the 12 disciples. These guys were not the bravest group in a bunch. When Jesus was arrested, what did they do? To a man. They fled. Now all of a sudden, they're filled with this incredible courage. Incredible bravery. Why? Because Jesus rose from the dead. Because they saw him with their eyes. They touched him with their hands. And they said, we know. And I don't care what you do to me. I'm not going to change my story. It's true. 
And that's why here we are 2,000 years later still following the letters that they wrote because it was true. If it wasn't true, folks, they would have they presented a body way back then. They could have made it all go away. But they couldn't. All they could produce was stories. He is risen. So Paul said, if he's not, why? Why would I put myself through this? In fact, he goes on to tell us, listen, in verse 32, if in the manner of men I have fought with the beasts at Ephesus, what advantage is it to me? If the dead do not rise, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. That was the philosophy. The the Epicurean philosophy of that day. Hey, this world is all there is. Folks, if this world is all there is, we are of all men the most pitiable. Because listen, I have stood in front of a father who ran over his one-year-old baby girl and crying out as his baby is, is dying on the table right beside where we're standing, crying out and saying, Jackie, tell me. Tell me that this is all part of God's will. Tell me that this is not just some horrible accident. I just killed my baby girl and there's nothing after this. Nothing means anything. You got hope to offer? I do. Your baby girl's with Jesus, brother. It was her day. She was sown here. And was reaped in heaven. And one day, one glorious day... You're going to see her again. That's hope. That's why I get up in the morning. If that's not true, Paul said, we are wasting our time. But it is true. Paul said, why would I face the beasts at Ephesus? Why would I be tortured? Paul was stoned to death and left in a road dead. Only to see the Lord put life back in his body. And you know what he did? Book of Acts tells us he got up and went back into town. The same place where they stoned him. Why? Because he knew Jesus Christ is risen. Jesus Christ is God. Jesus Christ has come to give us good news that we are eternal, that we're going to live with him forever. And i got to tell everybody, I don't care if they're picking up stones and trying to stone me again. I'm going to tell them with my dying breath. How do people do that? They do it for the truth. By the power of the Holy Spirit flowing through our lives. That's how they do it. That's what God is doing. That's what God wants to do still yet. He says in verse 33, So don't be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. He's quoting from a Greek poet. And philosopher, his name's Menander. It's, it's from his comedy Thias, and it, basically he's laying it out for him. Hey, you like all this Greek philosophy and all these concepts? Listen to their own words. Evil company corrupts good habits. If you're going to follow and hang out with people that don't believe in the resurrection, if you're going to spend all your time being unequally yoked together with unbelievers, it's going to pull you down. You're going to start to change your beliefs. You're going to start to think, you know, maybe I don't really believe in this stuff. You're going to start to drift away from the Lord. Drift away from Him. And I promise you, one day you wake up and you say, how did I get here? How did I get to this place? One step at a time. Evil company corrupts good habits. 
So he says, Awake to righteousness and do not sin. For some do not have the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. He's saying, listen guys, wake up and stop sinning. Stop thinking that there's not a resurrection. Stop faltering. Because there are people around you that are dying every day that don't know Jesus Christ. Every second, somebody passes from here to eternity. Have we done our part? But we can't save anyone. The Bible tells us salvation is not on us. Salvation is a work of God. What part's on us? Tell. Just tell them. Just tell them. Jesus loves you. Just tell them. God wants to do something in your life. Just tell them there's more than just religiosity and playing church. There's a reality of who Jesus is. But you see, we have this flesh, right? And so we go, we get up in the morning, we look in the mirror. And we go, oh man, something is wrong with this mirror. There's no way I look this bad. And we put on our little mask of religiosity. We put on our little mask of, of this, is my, this is my church face. I'm going to go to church and pretend that none of these issues affect me. In reality, they affect us all, folks. That's the real. Nobody's perfect. But I want to keep my eyes on the prize. Forget those things which lie behind and head forward. To the upward call of Christ Jesus my Lord. I want to put my eyes on Him. And always, every day, try to get one step closer. I'm not going to try to be perfect tomorrow. I'm just going to try to be closer tomorrow than I am today. Every day. Drawing near unto Him. Folks, people need Jesus. And how will they find Him if we don't tell them? We, we turn on the news and we complain. I complain about the fact that some knucklehead said that prayer was unconstitutional. Well, I can't do nothing about him, and I can't do nothing about the laws they're going to change, and, and, you know, maybe I can try to vote, but I tell you, I'm the most cynical of all people. I think they're all crooks. They all lie. Nobody tells you the truth. One guy tells you the truth. That's Jesus Christ and the Word of God. What does he tell me to do? He says, I'm, I want, I'm sending you out as lamb, lambs among the wolves. I'm sending you out as lambs when the world is going to hate you because you're going to go around and you're going to say, this is who Jesus is. And this is what's right. And as we do that, we affect our neighborhood, affect our home, we affect our community. That's how we change the world. One person at a time. And so this is what Paul's laying out for him. Hey, guys, we, we've got to get busy. But someone will say, well, then how are the dead raised up? And with what body do they come? So here, here's the big deal. This is what they said, folks. It actually is true. People have been dying uh, on planet Earth for a long time, haven't they? Now, how in the world is God going to find every person's body and He's going he's to resurrect it? They would say something like this. For example, this young guy, he's out in a battle. He dies in the, in the middle of this field and his body decomposes there in the grass. And as the grass grows, a buffalo comes along and it eats the grass. And then as that buffalo is walking down, its, its body assimilates the nutrients from the grass that it wants to assimilate and the rest... Come out. And you could say, there's 
my friend. <laughs> but some of him, some of them, it became a buffalo. And then this, this Indian fella, he came by and he shot the buffalo and he fed it to all these Indians who later on they died and all these parts of everybody's body have been assimilated into one another. Who knows who we're eating at McDonald's when we grab a burger? <laughs> the story was told to the founder of Rhode Island. Actually, they, they had to move this body. So they had to dig him up and move his body. And when they dug him up, they discovered that an apple tree right next to the gravesite had the roots had grown down into the casket and probably had absorbed some of who he was and came out in apples. I'd never look at apples the same way again. I have four apple trees in my house. Who knows what died around them apple trees? So they had this concept. Well, how then, if, if that's true, how in the world can, can there be a resurrection? How in the world can God raise the dead? That's, why, that's where this question comes. How are they raised and with what body do they come? So his, his response in verse 36, Foolish ones, what you sow is not made alive unless it dies. And what you sow, you do not sow the body that shall be, but mere grain, perhaps wheat, or some other grain. What's he saying? He's saying, listen, it's like a seed that's planted. If I have a, a rose, I don't go cut this flower and bury it in the ground and expect the rose to grow. I don't expect to, to make things grow. I'm going to take a seed. I'm not going to go any other way. I'm take a seed, put it in the ground. Does the seed look like the flower? No. It dies and the flower comes out. So he says that body which is sown, this body that is buried, that dies and, and decomposes, that's just the seed. The body that comes is given to you by God. And it is exactly for you. Here, let's check it out. Let's check out what he says. It says in verse 38, But God gives it a body as he pleases, and to each seed its own body. You know, to me, one of the greatest proof texts that there is a God is the fact that every human being on the planet has their own little signature that sets him apart from everyone else. It's called DNA. That's a mind blower. I mean, basically, you watch TV in a crime, a crime drama, if they got your DNA, you're cooked. Nobody else has your DNA. So... You can't lie no more. They pitch you in that room and they make you confess. Here's what the scripture is saying. Hey, to each seed, each seed has its own body. Based on, perhaps, the DNA. Remember when we all watched that movie years ago, Jurassic Park, and they made all them big dinosaurs? You know, probably was a bad idea. But you remember how they did it in the movie? One little piece of DNA, right? And from that, they... Now, that's scientists in movie sci-fi. We're dealing with Almighty God. You ever read Genesis 1? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The word created is bara. It means He made it out of nothing. 
When's the last time you made something out of nothing? Occasionally, I think my wife does that. (laughs) However, we're talking about Almighty God. Almighty God creates from nothing everything that we see today. So once we go beyond Genesis 1-1 and we read how God is going to give a body to that which is sown in the ground, He's going to give a body that's specifically for that seed, specifically for that person. Perfect body. A perfect body that is eternal. Look what He goes on to tell us. He says, all flesh is not the same flesh. There's one kind of flesh, a man, another kind of animals, another kind for fish, another kind of birds. We're not all the same. There are also celestial bodies and terrestrial bodies. The glory of the celestial is one. That's the stars and the planets. And the glory of the terrestrial is another. That's earth here. There is one glory of the sun, another glory of the moon, another glory of the stars. For one star differs from another star in glory. None of the stars are the same. And so the body that he raises us with is our special body. That God knows fits us to a T. He goes on and says, So also is the resurrection of the dead. The body is sown in corruption. It is raised in incorruption. Listen, he's saying he has a body that is engineered for where you're going to spend eternity. Your body is engineered for heaven. The spirit body. The body that is given when we see Jesus Christ face to face. That body which is given, it is sown in corruption, is rotten. And it's raised in incorruption. Means it'll never wear out, never rot. It's created and engineered for a different place. Folks, our bodies do pretty good for here. But if we were to take our bodies and go down to the depths of the ocean, they don't work so good there, do they? No, you have to put a tank on. Somebody's got to put a tank for air, pressurized suit. Otherwise, you pop or something. (laughs) And you go up into space. Your body's not suited for that, is it? No. This body that God gives, this body that He gives us, this is engineered to be in the presence of God. And the Scripture tells us it's going to be just like Jesus' body was when He rose. You remember the things that Jesus did? The disciples were all gathered together talking about the fact some said they saw him on the Emmaus road. The women were sharing. The guys were kind of getting excited. And all of a sudden, what happened? Jesus appeared. Was he physical or spiritual? He said, touch me. He ate with them. He could pass through walls. He could ascend into heaven the body that christ had is not the why did we always say when we say people didn't recognize christ we say they didn't recognize him because of the scars and 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 the the horrific beating he took And, and that may have something to do with it but keep in mind the body that was raised was not the body that was sown was a bit different but the seed that was planted had his own body, Jesus Christ, specifically his. So when the disciples had their eyes open, it's Jesus. It's Jesus. That's the way that we will have. That's the body that we will have. He says in verse 43, it is sown in dishonor. Literally, that word means disappointment. Sown in disappointment. 
but it's raised in glory. It's sown in weakness. It's raised in power. It's sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body, and there is a spiritual body. Natural, sukikos, raised pneumaticos. Remember, we talked about it. Pneumaticos is that idea of being empowered by the Spirit. The Spirit body that we're raised with is empowered by the Spirit. To be in the presence of God, to spend eternity there in that place with Him. He goes on to tell us in verse 45, And so, it is written, The first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. Listen, Christ is compared to Adam. Why? Because there are only two human beings ever to be on the face of the earth that were born without a sin nature. Adam and Christ. The first Adam failed. Christ succeeded. The first Adam became a living being made of the dust. That's what we're made from, right? The second Adam became a life-giving spirit. The scripture goes on to tell us, listen... However, the spiritual is not first, but the natural, and afterward, the spiritual. The first man was of the earth, made of dust. The second man is the Lord from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are made of dust. And as is the heavenly man, so also are those who are heavenly. For as we bore the image of the man of dust, we will also bear the image of the heavenly man. You and I were born in a sin nature. We'll struggle with sin from now until the time of the resurrection. At the time of the resurrection, we're going to be like Jesus. No more struggle with sin. The old man will be gone. And we'll be a new creation created in Christ Jesus to do the works that God has laid out before us. So here's what he's saying. First you have the natural, then the resurrection and the spiritual. First, you were just another man. The the scripture tells in Psalms, the Lord says he pities us as a father pities his children. Because he says, I know that you are just made of dust. You want a Jackie paraphrase of that? You are dirt clods. (laughs) How much do you expect of a dirt clod? You walk outside in your garden and see that dirt clod laying there and think... Arise, dirt clod. Plant this garden. That dirt clod just lays there, don't it? That's kind of the the sense that the Lord has in the Psalms. I know your frame. I know how you're made. I know your frailty. I know your frailty. But it won't always be this way. It won't always be like this. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Nor does corruption inherit incorruption. Flesh and blood will not inherit the kingdom of God. We can't bring this junk with us. This stuff that we're so afraid of anybody else seeing. The stuff that we get up and put that mask on in the mirror for. The stuff we hide behind. It don't come with us. It has to be left behind. And in a real practical sense, guys, in our lives, if we want to go forward with God, if we want more of what God has for us, we want revival in our lives, we want revival in our nation, we want revival in our communities, it's not going to happen as long as we're trying to do it in the flesh. The flesh can't make it happen. 
It's just junk. It's got to be a work of the Spirit, right? It's got to be a work of the Spirit. When my oldest boy, JC, was little, he thought that it would be a good idea to play with X-Acto knife. I don't think it was such a good idea. I was in the bathroom at the time, and I hear this blood-curdling scream from Kathy. Normally, Kathy's so calm in emergencies. <laughs> but in this case, it was a little different. And so I come running out of the bathrooms. I'm sure that there has been a murder. And when I come out of the bathroom to the hallway, I'm not exactly sure who's been murdered yet. Because there's blood all over Kathy. There's blood all over JC. And underneath JC is Cole. There's blood all over Cole. So I'm not sure who's hurt yet. So I, I step up and I say, who's hurt? Your son. He took an X-Acto knife and tried to cut the carpet. Why is he cutting the carpet? That's not important right now. <laughs> that X-Acto knife slipped and he stabbed it right in the meaty part of his hand. And he split his hand wide open with this X-Acto knife. He's bleeding pretty good. So, like a dad, first I think... Maybe we can put a Band-Aid on it. <clears throat> She's, that's ridiculous. we got to go to the hospital. So, okay, okay, okay. So I get a towel, and I wash his hand off, clean it out a little bit. I get him wrapped up, put some ice in his hand. And I say, okay, now, JC, we're, I'm trying to be real calm because he's kind of freaking out right now. And so I put him in the car, and Kathy gets in the car, and, and Cole gets in the car. And I get in the car, and I am driving nice and calm down the road. And all of a sudden, Kathy whacks me on the side of the head. She says, every other day you speed. Speed everywhere you go. Speed, speed, speed. And today, you're just going to speed limit. What is wrong with you? Your son's going to bleed to death in the back of the car before you get to the hospital. <clears throat> so, but we finally made it to the hospital. We got in, you know, the, and you know how it is, the emergency room. When you have boys, we spend a lot of time there. Most of the folks knew us by first name. And we sat there and, and, you know, they looked at him and said, okay, well, we got a few people before you. We'll call you in a minute. So they called us. We went back. Doctor looks at his hand and says, JC, you're going to have to have stitches. I'm going to have to put stitches in his hand. So I'm going to give him a shot, deaden it, and then, and then we'll clean it out. And then we'll... we'll uh, do the stitches. So we laid JC's hand. He lays his hand down. And JC's okay with the whole concept until he sees the needle coming. And they put it right in the cut, you know. And they give him the shot. And uh, it's supposed to stop hurting then. Now, I don't know because I can't climb into JC's body. So I don't know if it was hurting or not. But he was flipping out. And the doctor said, I can't give him stitches like this. Somebody's got to hold him down. So, that's dad's job. So, I hold his hand. I have to lay across his chest. So, my head's right by his head. And with my other arm, I'm, I'm holding the arm that the, the doctor's going to stitch up. And then I'm holding it there. And JC's screaming. He's screaming, Dad! Dad, don't let him hurt me no more. Don't let him hurt me. It hurts. Dad, it hurts. And he, he twitched his hand every time that guy got that needle close. <clears throat> and I remember thinking, 
I find out this is really hurting him, I'm going to get this doctor good. <laughs> but he'd cry out, don't you love me, Dad? Don't you love me? It hurts. But he didn't know it was for his good, did he? And all the while I'd tell him, JC, it's, it's okay. It's good. You'll see. But he can't imagine how that could be good. Don't we feel the same way sometimes? Cry out to our Heavenly Father, Dad, don't you love me? Don't you care? This hurts. And all the while, your Heavenly Father is trying to say to you, It's okay. It's for good. You'll see. It's okay. Is for good. My son, he didn't hate me forever. He was upset for a little while. But the scars heal. Pain goes away. And life goes on. But in a spiritual sense, when we face those things we don't understand, maybe we lost someone that we don't think we should have lost. We, we, we see someone that the Lord has taken home. We need to remember what's happening They're just being planted. And what is sown here, reaped in heaven, a glorious body. Ephesians 5 says, without spot or wrinkle, perfect. Jesus Christ then takes that person, presents them to the Father and says, Dad, it's my brother. And God opens up his gates and spend eternity in his presence. That's a good thing. God, it hurts. Just listen to what God is speaking. I love you. It's for good. Trust me. Well, that's what Paul's saying to the people. It's for good. The resurrection will take place. And then look at this that he tells him Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. What? In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. He's talking about the rapture. A lot of people have different ideas about the rapture, and I'm more than happy to let them all be wrong. It's okay. (laughs) Here's what I think you need to really grasp. And I think this is beyond a doubt what what the Scripture teaches. And that is the doctrine of imminence. What does that mean? What do I mean by imminence? I mean Jesus can come anytime. There's nothing that has to happen before He returns. Jesus can come back when Jesus is good and ready to come back. And I know that Paul believed that. You know why? Read that verse again. He said... In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised incorruptible, and what? We. We would include him, right? We will be changed. In the twinkling of an eye. The scripture across the board says, no one knows the day or the hour when Christ will return. 
But there is nothing that hinders him from coming. The scripture lays out for us in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and chapter 5, uh, several other verses talking to us about the harpazo, the, the rapture. A lot of people say when they talk about the rapture, the word rapture is not in the Bible. You're right. You have to read the Latin Vulgate. If you read Latin, it's in the Bible. Because rapture is a Latin word for harpazo or being taken away. It's the exact same word used of Jesus when he ascended into heaven. Same word. Rapture. Rapturo. Harpazo. The same word used of the church. One day, Jesus is coming. And one day, he will call us home. And all I know, I'm not going to argue about nothing. All I know is I want to be ready. Found ready. I won't be ready the day after. I want to be ready now. Because the scripture says... Be ready, for you do not know the hour that your master comes. So be ready. Not playing games. Being ready. Jesus said, listen, in this world you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer. What did he say? I have overcome the world. Whenever we look at the scriptures that talk about the, the trials, persecution, and tribulation that the believers face, the, the construction in the Greek points to the subject or the, the, the being that is effecting or bringing tribulation as the world and Satan. Every time. So in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, when the scripture says, We are not appointed unto wrath, but to obtain salvation from our Lord Jesus Christ, it means the wrath of God was poured out on Jesus Christ, and he's not going to pour it out on us again. That's what it means. We are not appointed to wrath. And there is a specific period of time, I believe, that is the outpouring of the wrath of God. It's called the time or the days of Jacob's trouble. The 70th week of Daniel, the final seven-year period of time. The only problem, folks, that I have with most alternate views, you probably guess I'm a pre-tribber. I'll be a pre-tribber until something happens to prove that I'm wrong, and that will only be uh, the rapture. So, <clears throat> I, but listen, the only problem I have with any of the other views, and I, it doesn't mean you're not saved, or it has nothing to do with any of that. The only problem I have is, with all the other views, I can count down. If I'm a mid-tribber, I know by the book of Daniel, I have 1,260 days from the beginning of the tribulation to the middle of the tribulation. 1,260 days till the time of the outpouring of the overwhelming wrath of God. Now remember, Revelation chapter 6 is the wrath of God. That's the beginning. Revelation 19 is the wrath of God. That's the end. But we do know the last three and a half year period of time is the most violent of all. My primary problem is it, it, it goes against the doctrine of imminence, that Jesus can come at any time. That's, that's my problem with it. The point is, the point that Paul's making is, that belief, that faith, not that we're going to escape. Guys, why do we think we shouldn't have to suffer, suffer like our brothers and sisters in Christ? Why do we think, Jesus said, in this world you'll have tribulation, but who will that tribulation come from? The world. It passes through the hands of a God who loves us, but God's not the source 
Satan is the source. That's the difference between the tribulation we face here and the great tribulation. The great tribulation, the source, is God turning the eyes of Israel back to him. But as we see this occurring, as we see this taking place, he says, listen, no matter how bad things get, you are going to spend eternity with me. And whatever you go through and whatever happens in your life is for your good and God's glory. So he said, believe. Trust me. Get up the next day and say, today Jesus may come. Who haven't you told? Who are you waiting for? Who are you afraid to share with? Because one day, folks, it'll be true. There won't be a tomorrow. But there is right now. The Lord calls us. Use your right now to affect the world with the kingdom of God. Verse 53, For this corruptible must put on incorruption. This mortal will put on immortality. So when corruptible is put on incorruption and mortal is put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your, your sting? O Hades, where is your victory? For the sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Listen. It's like that story. I don't know if you've ever heard the story before. There's a father out with his daughter. His daughter is deathly allergic to bees. And, you know, as is the case, a bee is around them. And the girl is freaking out. Daddy, dad, dad, it's a bee. If I get stung, you know, she's just going nutty. And dad's doing his best to kind of protect her from the bee. And it's just one of them big old gnarly looking bumblebees. And a bee comes close and dad just reaches out and catches it. And then he turns over his hand and lets it go. And the little girl's, Dad, what are you doing? Don't you know it could sting me and, and, and it could kill me and, and all the, you know, I have to go to the hospital. And her father said, can't sting you. He stung me. Now what Jesus did? Death can't sting you. It stung me. Death is destroyed We don't have to be afraid of death. We don't have to be afraid of those things that will happen because there's no sting to death. What does the Bible say? Absent from the body is what? Present with the Lord. Absent from the body, the moment we die, instantaneously we are with the Lord. We are with Him. And the Bible says, there you will always be. There will be no question about where's Jesus because you'll be with Him. In the same place. You'll be able to see Him for eternity. In that place, the sting of death has been removed. And look at verse 58. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain. Listen to that. Be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. You know, there's a lot of work to be done for the Lord. And there's a lot of opportunity to work. The Lord lays out for us here that we're to be steadfast, immovable, always abounding. Let me tell you what what I think about that. I think that that means it shouldn't be hard to find a Sunday school teacher. 
Shouldn't be hard to find someone to help with VBS. It shouldn't be hard to find those who are willing to reach out with the love of Christ and instruct our young people, our youth, to go and visit shut-ins that aren't able to come to church, to reach out with the love of Christ. It, It shouldn't be hard. Because he said, in light of all this, and I'm coming soon, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. And then what did he say? Listen, this is important. And know your labor is not in vain. He didn't say your victory, nor did he say your defeat. He just said your labor. It's sweat equity. What we do for Christ because we love Him is laid aside. It's, it's kept in reserve. It's, it's the only thing really that we can ever bring with us to heaven. Because in that day, guys, we're going to stand before Jesus Christ and it says all the things that we've ever done in our life, they're going to pass through the fire. The Bible says Jesus has eyes like a flame of fire. In the book of 1 Corinthians, he lays out the same concept in chapter 5 that our works will go through the fire. And what happens? Wood, hand, stubble. What does that do in fire? It's gone. What remains? Gold, jewels, precious gems, the stones, they're going to stay. So? Listen, I believe in Revelation chapter 5 that Jesus Christ is going to be standing out on a glassy sea. That, that when that moment occurs in eternity, when we're with Him, and we're singing praises to the, to the One who is able to redeem the earth, the Bible says that we will cast our crowns at His feet. The only thing we bring with us is what we do for Christ. That's the only thing we bring. And the only thing we'll do with it, it's not going to be to make our house pretty. It's not going to be to make us look good. It's so in that moment, when I stand before God, I can offer Him Something for what He gave for me. Not to earn it. I can't earn it. But I can offer it to Him. Folks, today we have an opportunity to remember the Lord's Supper. To remember that which Jesus has done for us. And and as we consider the Lord's table, and as we consider what God laid out for us today, listen guys, that that God wants us to realize that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. We can't accomplish any change just by personal willpower, or trying harder, or trying to focus where we need to submit ourselves to the Spirit. That means to say, it's not me, it's you. And folks, every one of us here today, we need a fresh outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Every one of us today need to be empowered. If we're going to change our world, if we're going to affect our neighborhoods, if we're going to touch people's lives, we can't do it in the flesh. We can only do it in the Spirit. In light of the truth that Jesus Christ is coming back and that we will see Him face to face. 
Wouldn't today be a great day? Wouldn't today be a great opportunity for us to be empowered, to be renewed, to be equipped? That one day, folks will say, you ever heard about the revival of Buell, Idaho? It began, you know, as this, this little time in prayer and this, this church gathered together and just giving themselves over to the Spirit, asking the Spirit to do a work and, and continuing in prayer, waiting until that day when it occurred. And then as the Spirit moved and the revival began, it spread. It went from, from Buell and Filer and Castleford to Twin Falls to Southern Idaho to Northern Idaho to all of Idaho, spread around. Don't you want to be a part of that? I want to be a part of that. And I believe that's what God wants to do. I believe in the last days, in the end times, that's what He wants to do. Because He desires that no one would perish. So we're going to ask the ushers to go ahead and come forward and we're going to prepare ourselves to receive the, the Lord's Supper. And, and as the implements are passed out, guys, as they lay these out before, I'd ask you just to hold on to the bread and hold on to the cup. We'll, uh, we'll worship together as they're being passed out. And then to allow this time, this moment in time, guys, in worship, allow this to be a time of renewal, really, Cast yourselves down at the feet of Jesus and allow Him to meet your need. And if you're hurting because of something that's happened in your past, let it go and trust the God of the universe that He knows what He's doing. If you're bitter, lay that bitterness down. If you're in this place and you realize, you know what? I've got a problem with my brother. The Lord says to leave your sacrifice at the altar and be made right with your brother and come back. Let's do these things and allow the Spirit of God to empower His church to do what God wants to do in these last days. Amen? of God in helpless pain, 
this gift of love and righteousness, scorned by the ones he came to save. Till on that cross, as Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied for every sin. Thank you, Jesus, for what you've done for us, what you give us. Lord God, we thank you that your body was broken for me. Father God, that you gave everything. And as I remember that sacrifice that you gave, may I remember that it wasn't about the hill. It wasn't even about the cross was all about the sacrifice. And as we remember your body broken for us, Lord God, take our bodies. May we be your hands and feet in this world 
May that be how we remember you. In Jesus' name, amen. Will you partake with me? And would you take that cup? And we'll pray over the cup together. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we indeed we thank you, Lord Jesus, that your blood was shed for me, that you gave your all, that there wasn't one drop left. When it was finished, your blood was enough to wash away every sin that ever came, would ever come, or will yet come. Father, I thank you that you gave everything. And as we remember the blood that was shed for us, God, and in that we realize that that is how we are made clean, that we aren't about flesh, that we might be empowered in the Spirit to do what you're calling us to do. Lord God, as as we see that, as we recognize that in the sacrifice of your blood, that it washes us clean. Father God, may we celebrate and consecrate ourselves to you. That you, Lord Jesus, be glorified in us. That we would carry the good news of your blood shed for us to the ends of the earth. In Christ alone. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. You may partake. As we continue in the spirit of worship, I invite you guys to stand with me because our God is a great God. Amen. Our God wants to do an incredible work, and we want to allow that work to continue. So we're going to ask uh, prayer counselors, elders, uh, anyone who's able to pray. There's prayer counselor signs around the church. If you'd find one to hang out at it, and if there's anybody that needs prayer, I invite you to find one of the one of the counselors and seek it. Uh, they'd be happy to pray with you guys and uh, uh, encourage you in whatever way they can. As uh, as we close today, may we remember our God's mighty to save. Amen.
for the glory of the risen King. Jesus, shine your light and let the whole world sing. Sing it for the glory of the risen King. Heavenly Father, Lord God, indeed. You are our king. Father God, we ask, Lord Jesus, empower your people as we go forward, Father, into this world that's not our home. As we move forward, God, give us strength. Be the, the, the words that we speak. Be the love that we give. Father God, we just pray that you would be glorified in all we do. And we claim this place for you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you guys. Have a great week.